This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Bill Burnett to the show. Bill, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited, Bill. I tell you, I am a fan. I have been following Designing Your Life since it first came out, and I'm so thrilled that you're going to be talking with our global audience about the concept of design thinking and positive psychology and how it can be applied to designing your life and your career. So, so welcome. Now, I know that uh, the premise of the book is is based around the concept of design thinking, but walk the newbies through that and explain how the complicated problem of creating a fulfilling life can be solved in the same way as, as a tech problem. Yeah, well, you know, we've been teaching design here for a very long time at Stanford. We um, we have a program that started back in the '60s, and it combines. You know, the, the regular ideas about design, about coming up with new ideas and doing new things with um, uh, some psychology, the psychology of people and some anthropology, trying to understand how people and groups uh, act. And so, you know, this design design thinking idea isn't new, but it is new in its application to life design. Designers love problems where you're trying to figure out the future and nobody has any data about the future. Designers love problems where you're trying to come up with an innovation that's kind of new to the world. Well, when we, when we sat down and we, I was talking to my students, um, you know, the first part of design thinking is empathy. So I was talking to students, what's, what's going on, what, what are the issues? And, and then talking with people in their mid-career and in their you know, 40s and 50s and people thinking about retiring or an encore career. Everybody had the same the same questions. You know, will my life be meaningful? Will it be purposeful? At the end of at the end of it all, will somebody say something nice about me? Right. You know? uh, n- nobody wants their their eulogy to be you know, hey, Caroline, you know, did great powerpoints and she was always on time for meetings. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're hoping for something more more profound. And so, design thinking is a great way to a- approach these kind of open ended problems because you start with empathy. Then you kind of redefine the problem because a lot of times you're working on the wrong things, particularly in life design. We've got all these dysfunctional beliefs and we work on the wrong things and then we are unhappy because we get an answer to a problem that isn't the right problem. Uh, And then there's lots and lots of creativity training in our program. So we do we do creativity um, training in in the book and in in the class where we teach you how to brainstorm and how to mind map and how to, you know, come up with new ideas that are that are brand new. But the real trick is to to prototype everything. Designers build prototypes to ask interesting questions and to figure out if they're on the right track. And so life prototypes are exactly the same thing. It's ways of little experiments that you can run to see if something new or something that maybe is more fulfilling in the future will actually work for you. So it takes all those principles and makes them into life design principles. And, and I love that because as someone who has been deeply ensconced into the methodology of career development, we really have been using design principles, but the framework that you set up in Designing Your Life is, is wonderful and gives us new tools. So I'm particularly grateful for that. But for the folks listening globally, Bill, that, that may not understand, explain how we can apply the idea of prototyping into our work life, relationships, and even, even personal issues that we deal with yeah you know it's 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 a really powerful concept so oftentimes when when people are thinking about changing let's see what is it it's january 31st so by now about 80 percent of new year's resolutions have failed 
statistically right. speaking, you're right. Yeah, they, they failed, and then the reason, mostly the reason is, is that when people are trying to change their behaviors, they 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 shoot too big. You know, they're a couch potato, and they say, "Hey, I'm going to run a marathon this year." Well, that's unlikely, right? I mean, let's let's see if we could start with something a little bit simpler, like, "Hey, maybe I could do five thousand steps." you know, for four weeks in a row, and then I could go to 10,000 steps, which is about two miles, and then work from there. So the idea of prototyping is to, is to break the things down into smaller steps. And Dave and I, and my co-author, like to say, set the bar low and clear it. You know, like, don't, don't, don't try things that are too hard, because all, all of the psychology around behavior change or, or getting rid of bad habits says you've got to start small. So the idea of a prototype, and you can, a prototype can be a conversation, it can be an experience, it can be setting up something interesting. Oh, I just ran a workshop this weekend and some people who were thinking about maybe, you know, getting a bed, that, that, that dream of a, we'll get a bed and breakfast in Napa or some beautiful place in the country and we'll be little innkeepers. And they thought, wow, that's, that's a big change from their life in tech. So what they, they did is they actually went up to a, a bed and breakfast, convinced the owners to let them run it for a weekend and then invited, you know, sort of bought it out, invited all their friends to come up and stay and ran the bed and breakfast for a weekend and discovered they hated being in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's that thing of trying something really before you go all in is, is the basic idea. And, and that was a pretty cool prototype, but a prototype could simply be going and talking to folks, you know, who are running beds and breakfasts or going and talking to somebody who's, who's doing the thing you might be considering, you know, pivoting towards. There's, there's a, a famous science fiction writer, William Gibson, and he has a quote. He says, the future's already here, but it's just unevenly distributed, which I think is cool, which means that, like, literally, you can time travel. You can find, let's say you're thinking, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, you're a, co a career and leadership coach, but maybe you were thinking of, you know, hey, my next career will be bed and breakfast. You know, it could hosts. happen. <laughs> it could happen, right? So it's always, it's all, and it's typically the sort of romantic and, and kind of, um, you know, super creative things that we think about pivoting towards. But, uh, you know, so a, a great prototype is to, you know, is to engage that, that possible future. There's someone already doing it. They've been doing it for years. And by having a conversation with them and just asking them for their story, how did they get there? What did they do? You're running a little prototype. And, and what you're listening for isn't necessarily exactly what their experience was. You're trying to see if their experience somehow resonates in you. We have this, this concept we call narr narrative resonance, and it's like two tuning forks. If you've got two tuning forks and they're tuned to the, same, to the same note, when you hit one, the other one rings. So when you meet someone doing something that you think uh, you might be interested in, you get their story, and the story should ring something in you. And by doing lots and lots of these very small, very simple prototypes, a prototype is something you can arrange for in a week. You know, it doesn't cost you a lot of money. You can, you can, uh, it can be a prototype or an experience or something. Uh, I was talking to a woman who was thinking of going back to going back to college, and she was in her late forties, and she wasn't sure if that was going to work. And she heard the millennials don't like people her age, and she was really concerned. And I said, "Well, here's what you do, you know, Alice. You just grab it, get it, go down to the bookstore and get a Stanford T-shirt. Because if you have a Stanford T-shirt on, you can walk into any classroom. No one will ask you any questions. Here's the, here's the secret for your readers: there are no guards at the classroom there doors. There you go." People just walk in. Uh, I said, go to a couple of classes. And I gave her some ideas. She came back and she said, wow, you know, I was really worried that this wouldn't be a fit for me anymore. Um, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been, you know, a serious student for, for 20 years. But then she, she, she said, you know, I went into the classroom and even though they were talking about a subject I wasn't that familiar with, 
it was so exciting to be back into this sort of intellectual environment and have these interesting people on, on, you know, on stage lecturing. And then, and I met the millennials and the millennials are actually kind of friendly and they were curious about why I was in class. And, and I set up some, you know, some prototype interviews with them. And now I'm, I'm really thinking about engaging again, you know, in, in some kind of higher education pursuit. But that was a felt experience in her body. She had to go into the classroom and feel it. So prototypes are super powerful ways of, you know, you're trying to you're trying to invent your future, just like when we were trying to invent laptops when I was at Apple, or when they were you know trying to invent what is a smartphone. You really don't know what it looks like, so you've got to build a lot of prototypes. Well, you know what I love about the concept of design thinking in life and careers that we're we're taking ownership of that career path, like you said, to designing your future. And so many people fall into the the archaic trap of just a linear journey, and it can be very circuitous and messy. And that is a good thing, right? So we're redefining uh, the opportunity to reinvent careers. What are your thoughts about reinvention? You've reinvented, certainly. Yeah, I have. You know, and and. Um... We bring um, folks into the class here at Stanford, and also sometimes into our workshop. We call them mentor visitors because they're going to give, you know, they're going to kind of be a, an example. Everyone we bring in, no matter how successful or unsuccessful or whatever their path, it's never linear. Right. It's never ever linear. You know, you, you started doing one thing and you end up doing another, and then you meet somebody and that's really interesting, and all of a sudden you find yourself in another job. I had never intended to be a full a full-time academic, this, this gig as the executive director here of the design program came totally by accident. I had a, I had a five-year plan and two years, you know, of sort of changing what I was going to do and had a little life design going. And, and then, uh, two years into my five-year plan, David Kelly, who's the founder of IDEO, the big design firm, also the D school here, called me up and said, Hey, do you want to be, we're going to invent a job. You want to be the executive director or whatever you want it to be. That's what we'll call it. And I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. There's my five-year plan done in two. Right. So, right. so people, um, there's a thing that we, we talk about being good at being lucky. You got You got to be aware of what's going on around you and aware of sometimes the opportunities that are, that are waiting to be created just for you. But you gotta, you gotta be aware and you gotta ask. So, you know, our, our method, we hate, we hate breaking this down into a, a simple, a simplistic, formula because lives are complicated. And like you say, we want you to be the agent in the redesign. You, you're the designer. Right. We're not the designer. We just give you tools. We give you some ideas in the book. And then, and then you go off and you're the agent in your, in your own life. And that's, that's super empowering. But if I had to break it down, it's like, you know, first get curious because the mindset of curiosity is the way designers start. Gee, what's the world need? I and mean, what's, what's going on? You know, that curiosity propels you into these conversations. Get curious and talk to people because the answers for what's next for you are out in the world. They're not in your head. People try to do too much planning. And, and it's hard to plan because the future is uncertain. So just talk to people and see where the opportunities are. Have empathy for what you want and empathy for the world. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And I go, well, just because you want to do it doesn't mean the world wants to pay you for it right. or to acknowledge you for it. It's got to be a match. There's got to be some need in the world that you can fulfill. So get get curious, talk to people, and then prototype. Try stuff. So Experiment Bill, in the real world. That's where the answers are. I want to pick your brain a bit about radical collaboration because bringing together those innovators and those thinkers with varied backgrounds and viewpoints is especially important in this process. Can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, it's it's, it's super important in design in general. You know the. 
Good designs include all the stakeholders and all the people in the in the equation, and including the people who have to make it and build it and sell it and and uh, service it. But in so in, in radical collaboration, one of our mindsets of a designer in this this context is that thing about finding out out in the world what does the world need? You know what 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 is it that you know how to do that the world needs that would be interesting? Because you're unlikely to be satisfied if if you're the thing you want to do um, just isn't received in the world. Now, there's some things you want to do. Maybe you want to do poetry, music, art, something. You don't have to do that on the market's terms. You can just do that the way you want to do that and form a, you know, a group of people who appreciate the things you do. But if you're talking about a job or a career or something where you're gonna, it's going to also provide you a living, you have to collaborate with the world. And the more different people you talk to, the more interesting it is. You know, I think there's some research out of MIT, you know, people, what, what's, what's, what's people's real social circle? And most of us have a pretty small social circle. The, you know, the 10 or 15 people we work with at work and the 10 or 15 people we hang out with, you know, as, as friends. Um, if that circle were 100 or 300 or 500, um, you would have so many more opportunities to discover things that could really, you know, get you excited. So the collaboration and, and getting outside, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer and I only talk to engineers. I'm in marketing. I only talk to marketing people. I'm a salesperson. I only talk to salespeople. I'm a, a career and leadership coach. And so I just hang out in the career and talent management world. But there's all these other interesting professional worlds and domains where the intersections are where the interesting new problems are. So that's, that's how we teach designers to go find, you know, innovations. And that's how we teach people to find the thing in their life design that's really going to maybe change the game and make them really excited. So the breakthroughs happen with diversity of thought. Love that. Bill, I'd love for you to walk me through an example of reframing an issue, because this can be really powerful to someone who hasn't used that uh, concept of reframing. And, you know, for example, you mentioned uh, a musician or a poet who, who might love that in their life, but they can reframe it as something that's an avocation versus a vocation. Maybe another example of, of reframing. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is. One of the things that people tell us from the book and from workshops and stuff, wow, this idea of reframing is super powerful. So so there's a, a famous, uh, Peter Drucker, who's a famous management uh, guru, mm -hmm. is, is quoted as saying, there's nothing, so, there's nothing so absolutely useless as doing something very, very well that never needed to be done in the first place. <laughs> and, and I don't know about you, but in business and stuff, I've often seen, you know, project teams work, you know, months and months and months on problems that, that weren't worth solving, right? So first of all, reframing is about making sure you're working on a problem that that's a real problem. It's actually the, the, the thing that's that's underlying the, the situation, not just some symptom. Um, but, you know, so, uh, so the classic reframe is the avocation versus vocation. You know, it's a pretty, pretty modern idea in, in work. And I'm sure you talk to people about this all the time, that your work has to not only give you the money you want, but the, the fulfillment you want and the purpose you want. Um, I, I don't know about you, but my, my grandparents were immigrants from Germany. They came over from Germany just before the war because my grandfather thought maybe things weren't going so well over there. Um, but, you know, they came to America and worked for, you know, 50 cents a day uh, and whatever job they could get. And their goal was not that the job was going to be satisfying. Their goal was that they could raise their family and that, you know, my, my parents was the first first in there. My grandparents never finished high school. My grand, my father went to, you know, a, a nice, a good state school here in California. And I was lucky enough to end up at Stanford. So this reframe around, am I going to get everything I want from my job versus, um, 
versus other things that I do is a good one. But another one, I was thinking, um, I was talking to some people at a company, a very large company, you use their products all the time. But some pe- folks who were there, you know, most of the companies here in Silicon Valley that we think about Google, Facebook, and stuff, they're, they're only 10 or 15 years old. Right. And so they were, they, were at the, they were at this company when it was young. And it was growing super fast because it was successful. So every couple of, every you know, 12 to 16 months, they got promoted. Hey, you, you're the only person here who's been here more than a year. You're now the manager of this group. Two years, you know, 18 months later, hey, you're the only person who's, you know, here who's been uh, here longer than, you know, three years. You're now the director. And so they got used to every couple of years being promoted up, up in the organization. Now, well, that now that organization is still very successful, very big. And promotions don't happen that way anymore. And so they were, you know, I was doing a workshop with these people. I said, what's the problem? I said, we're just not getting promoted anymore. The company's too big. And it's like, well, that's, you know, all right, so let's, what's the reframe? You know, your, your theory of jobs is it's only, it's only fun if I keep going up. So what other directions can we go? The, the other ex- the example of this company, like, now has five different divisions doing amazing things yeah. that are completely different than the core mission that they, they signed up for. What about reframing about looking sideways instead of up? Yes. And cover- I worked with a, yeah, I worked with a couple of people on this. It totally unlocked a you know a set of new new possibilities for them because now they were working on a, a problem that you could get traction on, and and a couple of them have found really amazing stuff in either the research side or the or some of these new initiatives, and you know now they're back in a dynamic small group inside a very big company, um, and and they're experiencing a lot of job satisfaction. They've also reframed the notion that hey, moving up isn't the only isn't the only thing that makes you happy. Love that. Love that. Excellent reframe. You know, it's that uh, career ladder versus the career lattice and having that multi-directional opportunity to reframe and redesign. So thank you for for mentioning that concept of the multi-directional approach. Bill, as we wrap up, let's just talk very briefly about the bias toward action. You know, what makes designers great is it's not just getting stuck in the visioning and the thinking, but actually doing something and activating. What are your thoughts? Well, that I mean, that that's uh, that's critical. And it's sort of um, not that we don't believe there's things you can plan. You can you know you can plan a party. You can plan your next your next move to, to another city. But most of life is is like you said. It's sort of improvisational, and and things are going to happen. Hopefully, if you're if you're open to them, things that will happen that will make a different path than a linear path. And so, um, you know, there's an old military expression: no plan of battle survives first contact with the enemy. Uh-huh. But we're not military guys, so we reframe that as no plan for your life. Um, survives first contact with reality because that stuff happens. And so uh, we think it's, it's actually better to, to just have a, have a bias to action and, and build a lot of prototypes. We will often go out in the field with prototypes even before we really fully understand the problem, right, in a design sense. Because we know that no matter how well we think we've understood what's next for us in our lives, um, by the time we get out in the world and we start talking to people, hopefully two things will happen. Some, some of our assumptions will get blown up and we'll, we'll, we'll find ourselves in a new space. But maybe even more exciting, we'll meet someone who has a, a potential opportunity or a possibility for us that we didn't even know existed. I mean, I always tell my, my students, that you don't really want your 22-year-old deciding what your 40-year-old is going to do for a living, that's do so you? True. I mean, that's, not, that's not a good idea. And don't you hope that by the time you get there, entirely new jobs and entirely new opportunities will, will emerge. So 
bias to action just means get out in the world, build some prototypes, talk to people, try stuff, and you're going to be surprised at the opportunities that happen once you're in the conversation. You know, 80, you probably know this, 80% of most jobs are never listed, and right. none of the good ones are ever listed. They're just exchanged in informal networks. Absolutely. And so, and so you have to be in the conversation, and a bias to action you know, overcomes everybody's kind of, you know, everybody's a little bit shy, maybe, or a little bit cautious about just going out in the world and talking to people. But once you get used to it, it's really a very generative activity. Bill Burnett, what a joy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I want to give you and your co-author, Dave Evans, a shout out. The book is called Designing Your Life, How to Build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life. It is available everywhere, including Amazon. But I also had the great joy of listening to the audio version first before I dog-eared and highlighted my my hard copy. And I tell you, I encourage people to listen to it because you and Dave uh, co-narrate and it's delightful. Well, thank you very much. We, we had a good time doing it, and uh, we're, we're just hoping that you know, people find the book useful. Oh, well, I know they will. Bill, thank you so much. Take good care. Thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review. And let us know what career and life development questions you have so we can address them on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at Higgins or send me a direct email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Thanks so much for listening.